for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blisey, and this is episode number 17. Number 17, that's crazy. You know, this has been great. I I really appreciate everybody, you know, listening, the ratings, you know, because I can see the ratings on the back end. And they are going through the roof. I'm like so impressed of how it's doing. I didn't expect this. And uh, it's all about everybody downloading this. And I hope everybody's enjoying it. I, I uh, you know, I'm getting some feedback, but not a lot. I, I really want to hear from more people and, you know, going to iTunes and everything and leaving those ratings and leaving some feedback would be great. But this week, I've got uh, a New Jersey bow hunter on here. His name's Greg Litzinger. This guy is an animal. He is just a beast when it comes to hunting buck beds and doing it all on public land in New Jersey. Like this guy is, he's just crazy in how he does this. And the information you're going to get on this is, is unbelievable. There's a lot of it, you know, in the next hour, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of information, but a lot of good information and a lot of cool things about hunting big woods. You're going to learn about hunting big woods and buck beds and and how to find them where to find them and it's just really cool greg's an awesome guy i've got to know him a little bit here the last couple weeks and he's really easy to talk to and you know he's got a youtube channel called the bow hunting fiend and go look at that because there's some videos in there crazy he videos all of his hunts and he literally shoots a buck in the morning he sets up on this buck bed and he shoots a buck right before it's about ready to bed down in its bed that he set up on it's it's crazy so uh, i hope everybody enjoys this one 
sit back, relax, grab a bowl of popcorn, or if you're driving to work, you know, sip on your coffee. I appreciate all the feedback, and I hope you guys enjoy this one. Without further ado, here's Greg Litzinger. All right, folks, everybody, here we are live. I have Greg Litzinger on with me today. Greg, how you doing, man? What's going on, man? Hey, Ben. Good, good. That's, uh, you know, finally got to meet you. You know, I, <laughs> I've uh, tracked you down. I've been watching a lot of your YouTube stuff and, and a lot of social media stuff. And, dude, I, I love what you're doing. I've been following you here for a couple months now. And, and um, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff. You're in New Jersey, correct? Yes. Okay, so you're doing a lot of stuff in, in a lot of the same scenarios, I believe I am. And I, I wanted to get you on and really talk about uh, big woods hunting and hunting buck beds. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that works. Well, cool. Um, I'm going to start off first. You know, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? You know, you know, we're no, we know you're from New Jersey now. Uh, you know, what do you do for a living and, and kind of how old you are and everything? Uh, I'm a mechanic, a uh, machinist by schooling, but a mechanic by trade, uh, industrial maintenance mechanic. Uh, I've been doing that for... Almost 20 years now. Oh, wow. I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 40 years old. Just I'll be 41 this year. Uh, just recently had a baby. You know, got a stepdaughter, wife, a little newborn. And I love to shoot my bow and shoot big deer when, the, when I get a chance. Well, congrats on the new baby, man. I'm I'm right there with you. My daughter turns one years old, uh, my first and only child. Um, you know, she turns one next week, so uh, I'm kind of right there with you. Yeah, it's uh, lack of sleep is sleep deprivation <laughs> is probably. Uh, and I, I can run on no sleep, but it's some of the stuff. Uh, and that she'll be going, and I'm like, I gotta go to work. And it's like, wow, <laughs> oh, this is rough. But, it's uh, a different I'll, ball game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but there's hang, there's being hangover tired or just tired because you're you're out like dragging a deer out or whatever. But like newborn baby tired is completely a whole different monster. I I'd prefer <laughs> hangover tired than baby tired because hangover is like once in a blue moon, you know. Right. <laughs> baby tired is like every day. It just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what's going to happen tomorrow night and the next night and the next yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you, man. Baby tired is it's a it is a whole different beast, and uh, it's pretty cool though. Once you get to about, I was just having this conversation with my coworker, yeah, two days ago. He's got twin boys, and he had them right around when I had my daughter. And um, we said, you know, that first six to seven months is hell. But once you get through that, now we're to the stage we know I know my daughter's gonna sleep through the night every night and if she uh, doesn't, something's wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's <laughs> so we're to that point, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I got uh I got like I said, two uh another four months before that I can hopefully turn the page. <laughs> you know, it's so weird because I'll have like two days, we'll get like two good days. And it's like, man, this is nice. And even then, you, you don't you don't even sleep well because you're waking up every little. Sure, right? because they're so used to getting up every you know, waking up right. every half hour, hour. It's like oh, I can't even sleep eight hours or even six hours. <laughs> it's like, mm. but they said I wouldn't trade it for the world. 
Yeah, that's on the same boat. And just think when hunting season comes around those early mornings, they won't they'll be a breeze now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 3M, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm happy to get up. Well, cool. Hey, let's jump into this first uh question I got. You know, um how did you I'm I'm interested. I've never been in New Jersey. I'm honestly, the farthest east I've ever been is been Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, that kind of thing. And uh I kind of want to know how you brought got brought up hunting and 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 what it's like to hunt New Jersey. See, my uh, my dad was a hunter. My dad's actually uh, from originally from Johnstown, out near Pittsburgh, and he moved to South Jersey. Uh, his dad wanted to get out of the coal mines, so he moved to farm country. You know, and so he was just a little farm boy, uh, hunting, fishing. You know, and they hunted back then for food. You know, it wasn't for, you know, we, we have, we get a little bit of enjoyment out of it. I think hunting on a, on a different level than just, you know, food wise. So my dad's a stone cold killer. You put him in the woods, like you won't starve. That's her, you know, I had a, he was a great teacher. Uh, I mean, a phenomenal teacher. So, but yeah, just watch my dad hanging deer up in the backyard with the bow and, you know, having deer mounts. Ever since I was a kid, hanging up in the house. So I was a diehard fisherman until, you know, I got my hunt license. And then I was like, wow, I mean, I still fish, but hunting it kind of took over for me. Mm-hmm. It's something I've yep. just drawn to. And lifelong public land hunter. Um, so my dad's new grew up modest. You know, we didn't have you know, excessive things. So he hunted public. So, you know, you, you just hunt public. And, I've been doing it so long where it's for me, it's not, I don't look at it as a crutch or, Oh, because now the, the public land craze is it's kind of switched back into, you know, public. That's the thing, the end thing now. Um, I don't look at it that way. I don't really think the in or out, you know, it's, it's public or it's not mentality, but it's for me, it was never really a, a crutch or a bad thing to help public. It's just what we had you make do with the, the what you have you know, right. we didn't have private so why would i wish for private when we didn't have it right so you know i learned to appreciate the, the public and it, the, the learning curve is a lot longer in public but once you start you know understanding how deer move on public like i can go in private and i i mean i've set some stands up for guys i've done some farms for people and i can you know, I've had set up a couple of guys to kill really nice deer on their farms. And it's like, hmm, that's pretty, <laughs> a lot easier than what I'm dealing with, you know? Right. Yeah. So you, you grew up hunting public. Now, when, when did you really start seeing a lot of good success when you were hunting public? How old were you? Uh, I killed my first deer in public when I was 15. My first deer I ever shot was a buck on my birthday on public. Uh, me and my best friend, Rick. Uh, I mean, we we still hunt together. We uh, we scouted this piece of county property, which is basically, you know, there wasn't much places to hunt where I, we grew up. Uh, you know, twenty, been there thirty years ago. So, just a few tracks of woods that pretty much everybody hunted, and we scouted that thing all summer long. Rode bikes down there, scouted a piece of woods, and uh, you know, shot my first shot up my first deer and killed him. Uh, and that was. I've always, I killed a lot of deer my first couple of years, you know, uh-huh. uh, a lot of deer actually. And some luck, you know, it was a, 
a lot of luck involved in the first couple of years, but I mean, Rick and I, we, we did well the first couple of years, but like I said, we, my dad was our teacher. So we had a good you know, foundation to go off. Right. But as far as like seeing giants and here in Jersey, like you can kill five bucks. So back in the day, you can shoot anything. Now they got some antler point, antler point restrictions, which, you know, is a whole nother topic, but, uh, you know, 30 years ago, it was, you can kill two with a bow, two on fall, two with permit bow, two with gun, and then two in winter bow. You know, so you can kill, you know, a bunch of bucks. Wow. And back then, people didn't shoot those because it wasn't cool to shoot those. Well, I shot them because I just, <laughs> my dad was like, shoot anything. So that's what we did, you know? Right. But, uh, spike, people shoot a spike for dough. And, so to see a, a, a small main, a small little, you know, eight point was you're doing something and actually kill one. Like you're doing, you're really doing something. When, so you, you killed your first buck when you said you were 15, right? Yes. And, and so then when did you really, I mean, you were, you were probably really serious about it then, but like, when were you getting really serious about hunting mature deer and, and really starting to kill big deer? Uh, it, it took me. 19 years to kill my first, uh, like I would say, yo, you know, he was like, what, uh, 121 or 22 inches. Okay. So it took me 19 years. It took me a long time. Yep. And it wasn't for, not true. It wasn't for like, like I just messed up a lot. Like I missed buck fever, you know, hit every twig, branches, bad shots. You know, yep. I like, I lost, I lost a few good deer, a lot of good deer actually, not a lot of them. Not gonna, nothing to brag about, but I, uh, I messed up on a lot of good deer and there was uh, a period there where it was just mentally, I was beat up, you know, and mentally drained. And, um, so I became more of just like a, like a killer, I guess, of, of does yep. <laughs> because, uh, that's, I took it out on, I took it out on the doe herd for my lack of buck sightings and buck killings but it was uh i had a few like uh injuries i was a big snowboarder so i had a few injuries that didn't allow me to snowboard anymore and that's when the deer hunting became serious because i needed needed something to do during winter and spring so i became uh, a postseason scouter and within three years it was like oh this is how it's done. And you, and, and you know, and, and success, you know, seeing big deer and killing them was a lot easier once I put the work in, you know, in January, February, March, April, May. And when I really started turning it on, I stopped turkey hunting and I pretty much stopped fishing for the most part and dedicated, you know, to becoming a better deer hunter like because you, know, you can't be great at everything you can be good at a lot of things but to be great at something it requires sacrifice on a lot of different fronts right so i gave up turkey hunting which wasn't too hard you know, i mean I, I do miss chasing turkeys turkeys around the woods but i like killing big deer <laughs> yeah definitely. Uh, and fishing like i don't strip or fish anymore which uh was kind of my thing me and my one buddy, we did a lot of fishing, but even bass fishing, like I just gave that up 
and gave it up is probably a good word because I went fishing once this year and I didn't go fishing all the year before. I think I went fishing once the year before. So you go from fishing almost every day to not pick up your pole. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, but when, yeah, just to take that next step and uh, my hunting, you know, I guess career or evolution, I gave up a lot, sacrificed a lot. Um, a lot of uh, so-called friendships, I guess, you know, people you hung out with, you know, <laughs> yep. like no more late nights in the bar and stuff like that. So right. Saturday morning, I'm in the woods, you know, Sunday I'm in the woods. Um, uh, they just put the work in, you know? just really dedicated yourself to that and, and just yep. said, this is what I'm going to do. And, and by the looks of it, it's really paying off for you. Yeah. I had a, I went on a run there for six years. Like in six years, I killed five mature deer on some of the most toughest areas you could hunt. Um, I, uh, I'm the guy that the, I, I go for the nastiest places or I'll say nastiest the most heavily pressured places. Yep. That's where I choose to go. Um, I know it's not my, the best decision, but I want to do something that nobody else could do or very few people could do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could drive an hour to some public that gets very little pressure, but to me, it's, you know, uh, the challenge isn't really there. Okay. You know? Uh, I know that goes. Some people want to. Some people are so about so about the the end result. I'm more about the process and becoming a better version of myself. Yeah. You know, because we don't really necessarily hunt for food. We can go store and buy it. So I hunt for you know food, but also for other reasons. You know, to test my skill set to see where I'm at in you know in the grand scheme of you know predator prey relationships. Definitely. You know, and I'm right there with you. You know, everybody, you know, there's not a lot of people out there, even though they do say, in my opinion, they say that they hunt to provide for their family. Yeah, you are providing for your family, but providing for your family is like providing everything from A to Z. Like we can go yeah. and buy a whole bunch of stuff. I My family loves venison, loves yes. game. I love everything. We eat so much of it. But the thing yeah. is... You know, I love providing my for my family as well, but the challenge, like you said, in the process, you hit the nail on the head just like me. I honestly, the off-season, like whitetail hunting for me is a 365-day process. It is a year-round sport for me. Yeah. And, you know, the process, I like the process, honestly, just as much as I love going hunting with a weapon in my hand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and kind of what you or what I alluded to off record before we start talking, you know, um, it, I was kind of telling you, um, you know, I, I grew up hunting a lot of big woods scenarios. Basically I I've got a family farm that's 215 acres and it's all big woods except 60 acres as a hay field, but around it, it is a square mile full of woods. And it's like, how do you, how do you, you know, move around? How do you hunt it? Well, we grew up as bait hunters. I've been baiting my whole life, you know, so I, I feel like I kind of lost a lot of my woodsmanship and how deer move. And, 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 and I'm really starting to, you know, last year and this year, I'm really starting to try to get back into like 
trying to figure these deer out again and really trying to teach myself um, not baiting anymore. And we can't in our county anymore. It just got a bait ban on my county specifically because of CWD. My county yeah. is not a CWD county, but the counties that are around me are. Um, so that's kind of why I wanted to get you on here too, is I wanted to pick your brain just about, you know, maybe I could take something away from this as, as the listeners, but, um, you know, you said it took you 19 years to kill your first 120 inch deer. It, yeah. it took me about the same. I killed my first 120 inch deer in 2015 and, uh, 2015, 16, 17, I've killed four bucks that were all 120 or bigger and I've just had a heck of a stretch going on. I've got a horseshoe in my pocket yeah. <laughs> right now. That's just like, I cannot do anything wrong, knock on wood. And, uh, so that's kind of like a little bit what I was talking about, but you know, before just a little bit ago, you said the process for you and you really dedicate yourself in, you know, January, February, March, April. And that's one of the big things I want to talk to you about. What is your scouting look like throughout you know, those months and what are you doing to really set yourself up for the best success that you can do? For me, I mean, you know, with the, the whole surge of bed hunting, like I, uh, I've been a bed hunter, you know, since the early nineties, you know, mid nineties, early nineties. So it's all I've ever really hunted bedding areas. We, my dad was never really big on hunting food. Um, so we just hunted near where we, deer were bedding so you know i fumbled around different techniques you know and then run across other people that were bed hunters and you just if you know where they're bedding because uh you know a good an older deer is only going to bed in a few select spots you know he's not going to just bed randomly in the woods it's in my honest opinion instead of this um this is my observation it's not set in stone this is just what i see um so there's a million, million different ways to skin a cat, but how I take uh, a mature deer, and by mature, down here in Jersey, three and a half, they're a completely different monster because of the pressure, and baiting's legal here in New Jersey. So that adds a whole other thing to it. So a deer, there's food everywhere. They'll eat sticks for crazy sakes, you know, to stay alive, you know. But their first goal is, yeah, their first goal is to be safe. And so if you find those little isolated pockets, and for me, in the big woods, by me, it's a lot, it's heavily baited, a lot of pressure. So I try and find out-of-the-way areas, and sometimes the out-of-the-way areas are close to the truck that people overlook. They think they got to go deep and far, and sometimes that's not the case. And a lot of it's just boots on the ground and looking at, um, maps in January or February, Google Earth or Onyx or whatever it might be using. But like Google Earth allows you to do a timeline slide. And I look for them dark pockets. And okay. usually you'll find some bedding in those dark timbers with either brush line or evergreens or, or something. And just search those transition lines or those dark pockets and look for beds. And there's really no set secret because sometimes like uh, some of the woods I hunt it's, it's flat the big woods and then there's just a swamp edge well everybody hunts a swamp edge so these deer have adapted you know and everybody goes into the swamp or hunts the swamp edge so these deer have adapted where they're not bedding in those places because it's not safe so 
they have alternate routes, you know, alternate lo- routes and locations in the main woods that people walk by. You know, be it off an old abandoned cart road, old you know, overgrown fence line, something that's just receives very little pressure. And, and you know, I don't, in, in flat country, you know, it's not necessarily wind-based, in my honest opinion. Um, like I said, I'm, I could be wrong on that, but from what I see, anytime that I find deer or wind-based bedding is, you know, hill country mountains, like flat ground, where I hunt, you know, in swamps, it's just wherever they feel safe because that wind's going to shift, move, thermal pull. So sometimes they don't want to move or move very little. So you find those isolated pockets where human pressure is non-existent. And like I said, sometimes that's 50 yards from the road that everybody walks by. That his buff knows that, and he'll watch that trail and watch everybody walk by. He'll get up and go about his merry way, you know, once everybody walks by. And um, overgrown towers, uh, like the cell phone or uh, the power line towers that yep, yep. kind of go through deer, love them. They'll bed right in the center of them because it's just nothing but briars. <laughs> like a power line, they'll actually bed yeah. in those little uh, uh, towers. I've seen I've uh, I've seen a lot of deer, you know, sneak in those things. Some good deer, you know, but a lot of deer will bed in those places. But with bed, if you can find where they're bedding, um, you have a good chance to kill them during daylight hours, like food in some areas of pressure. So extensive that they don't need to move. Like once they're in their bed, they don't need to move because right. it's not safe to move. Like they can wait. I can wait 10 minutes. I've been sitting there all day. What's not 10 minutes till buck. Right. You know, and no deer is unkillable or no deer is nocturnal. Some deer are just, they favor the first, you know, that gray light, you know, 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of, you know, before daybreak and 15, 20 minutes you know, before darkness. That's when they move the most. I was going to hit on the nocturnal thing. I agree with you, you know, from my experience, you know, and I'm no deer biologist or anything, but like, I don't feel like deer are nocturnal. I feel like the pressure makes them nocturnal. We force those deer to only move in the night. And yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they're going to move in the night no matter what, but like, that's just the way I, that's the way I, you know, I've been, I've got to, I've been fortunate enough to hunt all over the U S basically for whitetail. And I've just, that's my experience, you know? Yeah. You get a lot of pictures of a deer that's, that's nocturnal. So to say that it is after night, you know, but that deer, there's so many factors to me that can bring in that deer could be coming from three miles away and he's bedding three miles away but he's getting to your trail cam after dark well Mm -hmm. that's one factor to put in it other factor is he might be bedding close but he's watching you come in and out of your stand and he's only coming out when he knows it's safe so there's so many variables i just don't feel like and people have called me crazy before and i'm like well i'm sorry that's just my opinion and that's the way i think about it now to go back to your bedding, um, the last year I started kind of hunting bedding. This year I am trying to find bedding like crazy, and I am so new at it. That's another reason why I wanted to talk to you is because you on your YouTube videos and everything—that's what you're hunting, and you're literally killing bucks, almost bedding, like coming back to bed in the morning and almost getting ready yes. to bed down, and you're killing them right there. Like yes. 
when you're going in to find beds, now, what take me through the process for you finding beds? If that starts on the computer or or however it is, how are you doing it? Say in the except said since we're talking about the the big woods, flat, relatively flat terrain, it's you know sometimes Google and and all those places or top of map, it's just that there's not enough features that actually come up. So a lot of times it's just boots on the ground, just walk and walk. And when you're in the woods, like you get in a groove and like, if you've been hunting long enough and, and really paying attention, like you'll understand how deer move. You see why they move. You, you look at rub lines and follow a certain path. Well, I use my GPS a lot, you know, and if yeah. I look at, I look at backtrack now with Onyx map still on my phone. And I'm like, man, this rub lines, it's kind of, it's excellent. Why is it Essen? And then I'll go back and be like, all right, it's Essen because there's a slight little terrain break in there that you can't really see on the top of the map, but you don't really see it until you get down at a deer's level and you're like, ah, oh, all right, I see a little, you, know, you see something that you don't normally see. And that's mm-hmm. good about day log and all, because I day log everything I do now. So if I find a bed, which I think it could be a bed, I'm, I'm usually on a two to three year schedule to actually get a shot at that deer or even see it i should say mm-hmm. um it's never overnight it's never like oh, i find this bed and next year i kill it uh, i've never been that guy like each deer i've killed is it's two to three you know sometimes six years worth of work in that area to okay. shoot a deer yeah so it's say i find the bed on this little knob like a little depression or a knob and i'll sit in the bed and i'll analyze it and Nine times out of ten, I overanalyze it too much. I, you know, I, I, I complicate it. Like deer are are pretty s- simple. We, you know, I don't view them as some like extraterrestrial, super smart being. Their mm-hmm. job is to survive, plain and simple. Exactly. Survival is, you know, is numero uno. So I try not to overthink it. I look at the bed. I'm like, all right, lend this way. He can come in from here and look for an entry and exit and, you know, maybe look for a rub that might be, you know, close. I don't, around here, there's not a lot of rubs near beds that I find. Sometimes you find it for the most part, these older deer, they don't bed near a rub because they've been in some scenarios where that rub brings human presence into their bedroom. Okay. If that makes any sense. So, oh, yeah. Th- yeah, they wait till they get you know, 50, 60 yards away and then they start you know, their little staging area. I guess you would call it. And then they start to rubbing out there because they don't want to bring any evidence back to where they're sleeping. That's my thought on it because I find a lot of, I mean, every deer I've killed that's, you know, walking into their bed, the rubs are, you know, a good distance away. Scrapes, rubs are a good distance away and the bed is isolated. Like it's like, it doesn't exist. Like they're pretty much ghosts, like little, uh, little autumn ninjas. (laughs) Now, when you're walking around the woods, though, I mean, you're only one one guy. You're walking around this big woods. Like, what are you trying to pick out as far as, are you trying to pick out any sort of, you know, um, top, topography or to, like, be like, I know there's a bed over there. I'm going to go look at it. Or are you just stumbling upon these beds? Like, what are you looking for to, to really trying to pick them out? I would say it's, it's probably 50-50, I guess. 50 
50%, I stumble upon them, and 50%, I see either, you know, a blowdown, uh, or like I said, a little, you know, something that juts out in the swamp, you know, or a little finger that comes up into, you know, like the high ground, and you might see a rub or a scrape, and I can kind of backtrack from there, like, all right, there's a scrape here, why is the scrape here? This rub's heading this direction. All right, there's three rubs heading north. Well, I'm going south. That's where he's coming from. You know, so I use their sign, you know, uh, and backtrack them. You know, I've never had, uh, I don't think I have, maybe I have once or twice, but like following a rub line, like I might follow a rub line in the big woods you know, for half a mile, three quarters of a mile, and then it's just disappeared. And then you're like, and then you're trying to zigzag, you know, like you're, you're looking for a deer, you're, you start right. zigzagging, and all of a sudden you see like that rub, it made like a turn coming into it that you missed, you know, so yeah. then you can get in the, uh, I spent a lot of time, if you look at my Onyx maps and my GPS sometimes on the computer, and it's just like, uh, I'm like a bird dog, because there's no rhyme or reason. Like, yeah, I started here, and next thing you know, it's like zigzagging here, it's over there, I'm 100 yards this way, and, then, and I'm back and forth. And that's why it takes me sometimes a good two or three years to figure out an area because, you know, some, I hunt so many different areas. I, I got, you know, this Saturday, you know, I got eight hours put in this woods. Well, I might not get back there. You know, I might only get back there once more. So it's a, it's a long drawn out process right? Uh, for me. But a lot of times it's, I stumble upon it or, you know, uh, rubs scrapes or terrain kind of lead me to something and then i usually stumble upon it but said the deer sign will point me in a direction i need to go and then i i find it from there you know when when you do find a bed let's say you, you found a buck bed what what are some of the things that sticks out to you that you're like this is a for sure buck bed like what is it that you know it could be a doe bed or you know, what are those things that stick out and it's like, okay, this is definitely a buck? A single, single isolated bed. Um, like around here, you know, I'll, a quick little, uh, my thoughts on it. But I look at it like if you, if you're seeing a lot of deer in the area, you know, odds are you won't see the deer. So I take that, that, I mean, that mentality when it when I come to these beds. If I find a bunch of beds, odds are it's not a buck. Bucks, they don't want to be bothered unless it's the rut. You know, once they get hard horned, they kind of separate and do their own thing. So, if you find an isolated bed and there's nothing around it, I mean, you've I've searched, you know, I grid search, I do everything. There's no other beds. I'm like, all right, good chance that's a buck because those aren't necessarily solitary creatures. You know, they're more herd herd mentality where mature deer is kind of a, a loner and then i go with you know anything that's 44 inches or above is kind of 42 44 inches plus if okay. I, I i carry i carry a tape measure and i go long, lengthwise i'm like all right well that's 36 that yeah, might be you know a nice deer but it's not a deer that i'm going to spend any time on okay you know and if it's a like a primary bed or a heavily used bed, like you'll, you'll see the depression in the ground. Yeah. You know, you'll see why he's bedded there. You look at it, you're sitting in it and you're like, how the heck can I even get in here to hunt this year? Right. Like you got, you got to sit in and go, what the, how, 
<laughs> and you scratch your head like, this dude's insane. Yeah. Like, what What am I supposed to do with this? Right. You know, and, and it's, because if you find the bed, you're like, oh, man, it's probably a bad treat. Odds are it's not a mature deer. He's going to bed, like I said, in those spots, those pockets that you're going to have to work to get to it. There's water, there's space, there's a wall of briars. I mean, there's something that makes a solitary creature bed there, knowing that he's safe, you know, almost 360 degrees. You know, they don't they don't get big by being dumb and stupid, you know? Right. That, and some deer, I think, they're just smarter than others, like, like humans, like, like anything. That some deer are just, they have a way of avoiding danger at all costs. They find these weird pockets that you don't think deer are at, and they're, they're there. But that's yeah. my thoughts on it, that I'm no uh, deer biologist by any <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there's nothing better than experience and just out there finding them. And this year, this off season, I set out to, like, I set a goal for myself. I wanted to find as, you know, five buck beds, four buck beds. I wanted to find legit beds and just dissect them and learn them. And I ended up finding four this year. And they were all solitary beds. And here we we get a lot of north to northwest to west winds. Every one of these beds that I found was, I mean, when I when I found it, this this one bed was just like you said. I mean, it was in the thickest area, and it's like, how how the hell does this deer even get in here, you know? And what is he looking at? He had a he had a huge deadfall that was taller than me to his back, and he was looking mm-hmm. over a warm season grass field where he could, mm-hmm. you know, and in the deadfall was to his north so any north to northwest wind was going right over his back where he could smell what he couldn't see and i'm like i mean it was hitting me i was like oh my god like this is like there's a buck here using this and it was you could tell i mean the grass was just mowed down and there was no rubs in it but obviously they're not rubbing right now either because it's on velvet um but there was hair all in it and you could tell like i started looking at like the little you know, little buds on the trees around him. He's literally sitting there chewing his cud, eating all these buds yeah. as he's sitting there, and he's got a perfect exit route. I I could kill that deer right now if it was seasoned because I know where he's exiting it. Um, yeah. And that was kind of went for all the beds that I found. And then I would come up and I found a doe bed, and there was six all within like yeah. a 15-yard radius. And I'm like, okay. So I'm starting to learn it a little better. I'm where I'm having the disconnect is, where the hell do you start when you walk into a a, a piece of ground that's huge and it's like, where do you start to try to find beds? And um, right now we've got two big cedar swamps on our farm that nobody ever goes in. And um, I just hung a stand actually a couple nights ago on the main trail coming out of that bed. And that's kind of the next thing I want to talk to you about too is when you find a bed. How far do you set off of that bed? And because because I just came up with this scenario the other night when I was hanging the stand, so I wanted to pick your brain about. It, but how far are you sitting off of that bed? Yeah, uh, like in the evening, I try and get as close as I can. It, it started off as a hundred yards, and sometimes I'll get as close. I'll try and set up within fifty. Like, but in the morning, I will. Make sure I can set up so I can shoot into the bed. 
um, that goes against a lot of, you know, uh, industry, uh, I guess, standards when it comes to bed hunting. Like, I'm a terrible evening hunter. I've only killed on my wall. There's one, two deer in the evening, all the rest of the morning. Really? Uh, and in the morning, is it's, it's never that gray light. It's, believe it or not, you know, it's from 7 to 7.30. That's kind of the magic window I find for some of these deer. Like, they come in to their morning beds and they set up. I set up, you know, so I can shoot into the bed. Because sometimes I'll set up and they come in in the dark. Well, you know what? I'll wait that deer out. No problem. Yep. <laughs> and, but these deer will come into their beds and they'll wait till daybreak to get into their beds. Because I don't, because maybe the wind isn't right when they're coming into that bed or they got a, a weird feeling. But yeah. I think, you know, because we got coyotes and stuff around here. So I think smelling when somebody's deer, it, it, even though that's their number one defense, I think a deer wants to see where he's going into his bed. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that is true or not, but I've killed, like I said, a lot of deer from 7 to 7.30 with plenty, you know, way after first light. And they come in. And a lot of times they don't even come in cautious. It's like they almost like stage up outside of the bed to make sure it's safe before they go into the bed. Okay. And I like I said, I don't know if it's a safety thing or, or what, but on the mountains, I get it in the mountains. I get it in the, the big woods, flat big woods. I've got it in hill country. I've got it in marsh. I've got it in like an urban setting. So it's like, I don't, I don't really know why, <laughs> but uh, I prefer mornings because uh, I can always beat a deer to his bed. Whether it's dark or not, he gets past me. I can live with that. I can sneak out. But in the evening, like we were, we were talking about earlier, he don't need to leave his bed. He can get up. I watch him get up. I'm like, oh, here he comes. And he just stands there until dark. And then you're like, great. Now I got to sit here. So after <laughs> he walks by... So sometimes I'll sit like two hours after dark. I'll lower my bow down and sitting there. It's like, it just come on. You hear him walking, takes a couple steps. And it might take him an hour to go 50 yards. And it's like, how do you kill a deer like that? Right. You, know, you, you kill him in the morning. That's, that's my, that's, uh, that's my fault anyway. I mean, when you're going in in the mornings, how, how early are you getting in? Like, let's say, let's say, you know, the gray light, it's cracking day at 7 a.m. How how early are you getting in, like, your setup? Because you're running and gunning, right? Like, you're taking a stand in. You don't yeah. need set stands. You, you got the stand on your no. back, and you're going in. Yep. So how long yep. are you sitting, like, ready to go? I, I like I like, I like to tell myself two to two and a half hours quiet. Not just getting to the tree, but set up in the stand quiet. Two hours minimum. Um, really? I've been getting lazy here these last two years. It's about a, <laughs> it's about an hour, hour and twenty minutes, hour and fifteen minutes, and that's just not enough time. Uh, because these deer, these older deer, will come in, and a lot of times, like, like I think in the morning, they stage up near their bed, and I think they're staging up before they go into their bed. They hold up fifty yards out, and they wait till light, and then they kind of go in. And I don't know, like I said, if it's a safety thing or what, but if you're not set up quiet. You know, because like I said, I'm so close to their bed, you know, in the morning sometimes it's like I'm, you know, sometimes I'm 10 yards away, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, 30 yards away. But if you're not quiet, 
you know, when I say quiet, I mean, you don't need to do anything. You're just breathing. And, you know, hour and a half, two hours, like, you don't have a chance to that deer. I, I don't think. Yep. You know, if you're that guy that rolls in half hour for life, well, good luck. <laughs> so you're literally sitting in your stand, quiet, only breathing two hours before daylight. I, I try to, I try to make that the goal and some spots. It's weird. In the mountains, I usually make that happen and I'll have, you know, hour and a half hikes sometimes. Yep. And it's like, but like around here, maybe it's because I'm lazy. I'm not, you know, I'm not camping <laughs> in a tent, but in the house, you know, you hit snooze or whatever. But it's like, and then you, next thing you know, I'm driving, you know, 80 miles an hour, you know, just so I can try and get set up. Uh, so I need to do a better job of that. But yeah, two hours. And that's, you know, something I got from John Everhart reading his uh, bow hunting pressured whitetails when he hunts up, sets up on these scrapes and stuff. So he's quiet two hours for light. And once I started implementing that, I, I did see a lot more deer, yeah, which was, uh, you know, I mean, I got my long buddy doing the same thing. You know, him and I kind of hunt similar. You know, he's not as diehard as me, but he, he'll, he can get up and be quiet. And it's last year he got set up on a deer coming in late. Um, it's happened actually to him twice in the past three or four years, get into a street late and blow a deer out. Deer's already there, or getting close to his bed. He's either setting the stand up, or like two sticks up, and that deer comes in and blows out. Dang. You know, yeah, an hour before the light. You know, but like I said, if you can, I can always beat a deer there. You know, whether I get a shot at him or not, like I'm, I'm fine with that. I can usually sneak down. I'm, I'm quiet enough with my stand and stuff. Sometimes yeah. I can get, usually get out without you know spooking him too much. Yep. Yeah. And you mentioned John. John lives in the same hometown as I do. Like John yeah. and I we're right next to each other and man, that guy knows his stuff, man. He's 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 yeah, a beast when it comes to comes to whitetails, I'll tell you. Especially pressured whitetails. Yeah, and that's good. I, I learned a lot from he helped me refine some techniques and you know, Dan and Fault helped help, you know, Andre and Adam Hayes. Like yeah. I, I like to take a lot from everybody and kind of make my own style. Yeah. Um, you know, like a lot of, like Dan is a big evening guy. I'm, I'll tell you now, I'm a terrible evening hunter. I'm a terrible evening hunter. And I'm a terrible rut hunter. I've only killed three deer in November. My oh, entire really? life. Maybe four. All my deer come from October 6th to October 26th. No kidding. That's interesting. And October 17th to the 20th is usually my best time. I mean, I, I kill, I kill most of my deer, you know, around the October 20th, you know, a few, few days prior or after October 20th. Why is that? Do you think? I don't, yeah, I don't even know. Um, that's the way it's always been. Really? I've been a big, uh, October guy. And it, that's just kind of like, I'll see, look, don't get me wrong. Like seeing deer and killings, two different things. Like I'll right. see deer in November. Like I had, I had a giant. I mean, I'm that the 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 Murphy's Law during the rut. That's me. Yeah, I'll have. <laughs> I mean, I can count. You know, you know, I need hands and feet. How many times I've had a mature deer coming to me at the rut? I mean, coming right to me, like, oh man, here he comes. I grab my bow, get ready. All of a sudden, this doe will magically just pop up out of thin air. I'm like, where did she come from? She was where she was just supposed to here. She and was there he supposed goes. to be here. <laughs> yeah, and there and there he goes. I mean, last year I had. A monster coming right at me, and I'm like, "This is going to happen." 
it was like November 7th. And I'm like, finally, I'm going to shoot one of these deer that people go, holy crap. I mean, I've killed some nice deer that people go, holy crap. But this was a deer that people go, holy, holy crap. And yeah. he's coming right to me. And I'm like, and it's open. It's open timber. It's a little funnel that deer got to get through because they, they cut the corn down. So there's just a little bit of woods. And he's coming right to me. And there's nothing. All of a sudden, this doe's standing in the middle of this cut cornfield. And she was not there. Like, I'm looking at this deer. And I'm seeing the cut cornfield. And she wasn't there. And it's like she just dropped him out of stakes. And he caught her wind, and away he goes at 40 yards. I'm like, why? Why? Really? Like, what have I done? Like, I, I get it. I, I, I'm not supposed to kill a deer in November. I understand. Uh, like, and that, like I said, I, I need hands and toes how many times that has happened. That's crazy. And and like I said, and they're monsters. They're them giant deer that, you know, you, you look at, and you like instant. Get your stuff together because you're going to lose it. And it just never seems to work out. Or you, you pull back and you hit it. You just misjudge yardage. You know, that's, that's got me a couple times. Buck fever's got me, you know, once or twice. And you shoot. Next thing you know, your arrow is deflecting like 90 feet in the air. You're like, what has happened? And you, you don't see the giant bush that you just tried to shoot through. <laughs> and then it's like, how do you not see that? And it's like, hmm, yeah. But come like October, and I think October whitetails are a little more calmer. Like they're more disciplined, yeah. bedding, feeding, bedding, feeding. So they're a little more relaxed, and they're you can plan that he's coming here to here. But like during the rut, yeah, you know, they're you know I won't shoot at a running deer, but yeah, you know, they run by 100 miles an hour. It's like yep, hey, thanks for stopping by, right? You know, because like, you <laughs> yeah. can't do anything about it. So November's it's. It's not, I guess it's just not my, my thing, I guess, I don't right. think, but I'll take my October thing. You know, it's that during that quote unquote October law thing. Yep. That's when I, I see my, usually my biggest day of the year. I see, you know, around October 20th. Yeah. I, uh, back in 2009, I killed a pretty good buck. Um, just over a hundred inch deer. Yeah. I, I think he was three and a half. He was right there. Either two and a half or three and a half. It was one of my my biggest deer at the time you know so you go through those stages and yep. i killed him on october 18th and he was coming out of a bed going to food um and honestly i didn't know that at the time i was just happy it was by happenstance i was in his his travel route and evening yep. hunt um and i killed him and that was that was really cool but i i, I have a scenario for you so i i killed my first 120 inch deer um in 2015 here in michigan and I killed him on October 1st night. It was a night hunt. Um, I knew where this deer was bedding. And I set up, he was bedding on the neighbors. But I, my neighbor and I have a pretty good relationship. And, and we both knew. We were both hunting this deer. We both yeah. knew where he was bedding. Um, but I had all the food. And mm-hmm. early season, you know, I, w- I was like, well, I'm going to set up not on the food. I was... I was probably 30 yards off the food, but I was in his funnel. I was where he yep. was going to he was going to go. He went under this guy and he couldn't get a shot at him. Him and I are texting at the time. It was 15 <laughs> minutes to the to the to the literally to the second when he texted me and said he just left, but he went away from the direction I was in. Well, he did a loop and came and went underneath me and I killed him. But my scenario, my question to you is and my experiences, that is one of many experiences I've had, that deer came to me 
with the wind to his back. And what I've learned is when a deer is walking with the wind to his back, he is in a very calm state. Is that true? Is that what you've experienced or what have you experienced in that? My, my thoughts, you know, on the wind to the back, um, I don't think it's, it's not as, uh, people try and break it down as like a scientific manner, mature deer will like walk with the wind or crosswind, the nose back. I just think it just happens to be where he was bedded and where the food was. He's walking with the wind to his back. He's probably walking slow and he's walked that route a thousand times without any incident. So he's yep. comfortable in that route. So I won't say his guard down, but he's, he's walked that, you know, seven days a week for the past four months, no issues. Right. So he's comfortable walking that and he's snowing behind him and he's walking there and he's using his eyes and ears in the front and he'll walk at a slower pace, real calm, relaxed. And I think a lot of people mistake that couple steps, ears, looking around like a relaxed state. I think he's just being very observant. You know, he's whenever I find a deer with the wind at the back and they're not spooked and they're walking real slow and cautious, they're just scanning and surveying. Like they're yep. using their eyes, they're trusting their eyes and they're trusting their instincts because nothing's ever happened to them on that route. You know, and I don't think he would expose himself during daylight hours into a field without scent checking that field. Um, unless he already did scent check that field somehow, some way, you know, that we don't either with the thermals or, or, or something, you mm-hmm. know, we're using other deer to his advantage. You know, if he's comes out into the, you know, the edge of the field, and there's a hundred deer out there. He might feel safe going in there, but if he gets that edge of that field and there's no deer, he's going to be like, now nah, wait for dark, you know, cause he knows he's safe. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people get too caught up on, Deer need to move with the wind at the nose, back, side. You know, deer, if he's bedded here and the food's here, he's got to walk with the wind to his back because if he goes, if he loops, there's danger to the right, there's danger to the left. But, you know, I'll go in the middle where it's thick, but I've never had any cross human scent or anything. So it's probably just his, his safe pattern, you know, yeah. or he could have been just lazy that day. One of those deer where he's let his guard down for a second that sometimes early season deer do because. You know, they've, they've been unpressured for, you know, months. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's where, I think that's where us hunters really overanalyze a lot of things because you hear of a lot of people saying, you know, when the barometric pressure is 30.29, you're going to see a lot of deer movement or, you know, this buck only comes in, you know, bucks only move with the wind cutting their nose or, yada yada there's all these little scenarios that you hear and then because i'm thinking i'm thinking from my experience like i'm thinking every time i find a bet i'm like okay he's gonna do these five bullet points because that's what i was told well no that's that's not necessarily the the case i gotta learn that because like just like you said i mean that could just be how that deer moves but if if i know that deer's coming through there or i think that deer's coming through there when i'm getting ready to set a stand Maybe I won't even set my stand there, and then I'm moving on to the next place, and that could have been the spot that I needed to be in. So there's all mm-hmm. these different scenarios that you overanalyze, I feel like, and it's like, yeah. what what is there to believe? And that's what I'm trying to start to think is you just kind of have to go off of your instincts and what you know and what you're learning I, I, from your experience. I mean, yes, a, a lot of people are afraid to make 
mistakes. And so they go with what they know or what someone they've read somewhere. And there's no right or wrong way to do anything, to be honest with you, when it comes to hunting. You know, like, uh, I mean, there's guys that kill deer over food, that kill deer in public over food. I'm not that guy. Right. (laughs) So it's like, there's really no, you have to find out what works for you. And what works for you is being observant and learning from your mistakes and trusting, like, your, your confidence. you got to have a lot of confidence in what you're doing. You know, like me, I don't see a lot of deer usually. If I see a buck, he's big, he's usually in range I can shoot him. Whether I get a shot at him or not, it's a different story. Like, I don't see many deer, but there are many big deer. If I see a big deer, usually it's like, holy crap, there he is. Because the way I scout and, and then I do my setup is I'm so close to the bedding area where I think he might be bedding, you know, or doe bedding, where I put myself in a high percentage shot if I do see a buck I have a good chance of shooting you know and other people scout and you know do things a little bit differently than I do you know so you have to find out what works for you and and really work on that and really put in the time and effort to make that really work for you and I think people are hesitant to change they're you know because deer are constantly evolving the hunters you know, because we don't hunt for food, we don't need to evolve. And now with, you know, trail cameras and technology kind of taking over that, that uh, intuition and that skill set that some people have that's greater than others. So people rely on the cameras and, you know, it gives a false sense of hope. They're seeing this deer on camera, I must have done something right, you know, or they're using that camera to, you know, to shore up, you know, like a, like a, a shaky foundation almost. Yeah. The- you hit the nail on the head with the camera thing too, because that's, <laughs> I've been for the last 10 years, I've been running trail cams and I'm not saying they're bad. They are good. Literally that deer that I killed on October 1st in, in 2015, I wouldn't have sat in that stand if I wouldn't have pulled that camera that morning and saw him that he was there in daylight three days, like three days in a row in daylight coming through there. And yeah, you know, I, so that helped out, but that is the first and only time I've ever killed a deer off of knowing he was there through a trail cam. Now I have <laughs> known about deer on the farm and then I killed him on a different part of the farm, but that's the yeah. first time I can, so to speak, say I patterned a deer and killed him. Um, but this year I've backed off on the cameras. I do have cameras out, but they are from afar. They are like yeah. no, nowhere near my hunting, like my stands or where I'm going to put stands. They are just strictly inventory. I don't care if I get a deer at three o'clock in the morning. All I need to know is he's there. Then I'll figure yep. it out from there. That's kind of the mentality I'm going from now. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to, to look at it. As people have said that these cameras become crutches and they're relying too much on that camera and not trusting the sign that they see. They're saying, oh, or because, I mean, if you see a, a booner or 200 deer that comes to your property, and it could be at 2 a.m., you become fixated on that deer. And like yep. you and I, but if anybody's been hunting long enough, if, unless you own 5,000 acres, if that deer is midnight, 10 o'clock at night, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., odds are he's not betting on your property. Yeah, exactly. So that, that deer, you know, you might as well just scratch him off because it's not going to happen. You know, and like that's the mindset you need to have. Like, you need to take that data that a camera's going to give you, much like visual sightings. You know, like a camera should be, they should be used so you become better. 
like set up in a, in a, a high traffic area. When it, all right, I start to see bucks here around October 18th. All right. Well, now you look at that data and go, why? Then you go in there and you try to analyze the why. But people see that, that date, that timestamp, so they go, all right, I'm just going to go and sit this spot. Well, all right, you know, you start sitting that spot where these bucks are coming through right there, break 15, 15, pretty soon the deer, are on, they're on that, and they're like, later, and they're going to move on somewhere else. Exactly. And you're, you're constantly almost like chasing your tail, which it stinks for a lot of people because it's, I mean, I, I mean I've never used a trail camera to kill a deer. I've never seen any of these deer that I've killed. Uh, one, I passed up because uh, I thought something bigger was coming. But I've never seen them. First time I've ever seen them, I killed them. Yep. So I don't, I can't relate to people that are like big trail camera guys. Yep. Um, I mean, I said I run cameras from time to time. But like you said, they're usually in spots that I don't ever plan to hunt. It's more of like an inventory checker or, all right, I'll run cameras over scrapes a lot. Basically, because I'm trying to figure out, you know, I do my own little data log and type stuff. All right, most scrapes around here start getting hit real heavy October 18th. And in other areas, it's October 21st. Yep. So, all right, so I know, like, the, I got, like, a three-day window to almost anywhere. Scrapes are pretty much good for me. Yep. You know, and then they usually get cold around the you know, 23rd of October, 24th. Yeah. So, I use cameras for, for that. And it's basically almost just like data logging. And I probably should use it for a little more time stamping, but I think uh <laughs> I, I think I like the challenge, like say we were saying earlier, that that deer hunting brings me like the satisfaction. Right. Knowing that it's just me and the deer, like a wolf, you know, apex predators. They don't have trail cameras. They learn by mistakes. Exactly. You know, you put a timber wolf, you you take him from, you know, Canada to Idaho, he's still gonna kill because he knows the basics. He knows how animals move. He knows why they move and, you know, knows how to find them. Right. I, I like to think in that, that mentality, that mindset. Yeah. And like you said before, earlier in this podcast, I personally, I give deer way too much credit. They are, to me, they might as well be Albert Einstein because yeah. let's be honest. I mean, they're, they're an animal. They are, they're, they are smart. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it, it, I don't know. I just feel like I give them way too much credit. But the thing is, what I have to do because I'm in a very pressured area, and I th I think you are as well. You and I are hunting in a lot of the same areas, and I just have to be a little less aggressive and a little more stand back, really analyze the situation, and then go off of my instincts. That's what I need to mm -hmm. do. You know, and yes. I, I I'm going to implement this year. You know, and this is one thing I want to ask you too. So I've got this 80 acre farm and it's all, it's, this one's in farm country and, um, it's an 80 acre piece. It's got one acre of timber on it. And I've honest to God, I've got three buck beds on one acre of timber, three legit. And they're all in different, they're all in the three points. It's a triangle and they're on the three mm -hmm. points. Um, and, uh, I've got stands already set in there and I've hinge cut a whole bunch of stuff this last winter in there. And it is like a honey hole. Like these deer just love this. <laughs> well, the only, my only problem is it's hard for me to hunt it in the morning because I've got to walk the field edge to get into it. Yeah. Now, what would you do in that scenario 
to, to try to get in there and not booger any deer that's in a field or would you even try it? I walk in from the crosswind. Well, take a long way around and come into the woods. Because if, if you're coming in the field edge in the morning, odds are he's probably watching that field edge, either staging up just along that field edge where does are, or you're most likely to get busted. Or you yeah. might get like one chance to hunt it, and then you know the jig is up. Yeah. Your entry and exit route is such an underlooked thing. You, you, you see, you're, you certainly hear more people talk about it and write about it, but if you the goal is to sneak in that woods and sneak out, leaving very little trace. Yep. And you don't try, try not to cross deer trails. Try not to leave, you know, any type of sign that you're there. And back in the day, I think it was Miles Keller. It might have been Miles Keller. You know, I'm talking, you know, 90s, early 90s. Yep. I was reading an article, one of those guys from back then, he goes, if I can just be dropped in from an airplane and picked up somehow, I'd kill almost every deer that I ever wanted to kill. Right. You know, because you're not crossing their paths. You know, and that's a hard thing to, I mean, some spots I get to, I, I mean, it takes me two hours, you know, hour and a half sometimes, because I'm literally walking a mile in the dark, you know, early in the morning to get to the spot, because I do not want to bump where the deer might be headed or, or cut his tracks or cut or any deer that might be, you know, in that area. And that stinks sometimes, but sometimes that's what's necessary. And even in the evening, same thing. Like if you have an overgrown field that, you know, tall grassy stuff, avoid that like the plague. You know, I try and walk through open timber as much as possible. I try not to walk through brushy areas unless I absolutely have to. Um, because all that stuff, you're just positive scent there, you know, and, and like overgrown fields in the morning with that, those dewy mornings, I've literally had deer just follow my, follow right to my tree because they're, they can't smell me. It's like wet, kind of rainy, dewy. Yep. But I think they're smelling that disruption in the grass, almost that separation, because it's not dew. It's, it's different. It's in there walking, you know, almost like right to me. And little bucks, notorious for that. Those little bastards. <laughs> always busting me. You know, because they literally, I mean, walk right up. And that, you don't see them. You hear them in the dark. And all of a sudden, like, they're like right underneath you and they start blowing. They're like a big boy. Very rarely do they blow or snort. They just disappear. Yep. It's those little guys that are always snorting, stomping, you know, and then a doe starts snorting, stomping. So the whole goal is to sneak in and sneak out as undetected as possible. And that's why I think overhunting a lot of areas of farms, that's a lot of down, downfall to a lot of people. Because the deal is to avoid high traffic areas of human scent until, you know, those 10 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. You know, so if you can get in and out and like I said, that form that you got, if you can come in from a crosswind, you know, where you're, you know, the wind's in your favor, not his, you know, you, you probably have a good, good chance at him. Yeah. But that's a whole nother element to get in some spots because some spots you can't even do it no matter what you do because the wind or the train or the property lines don't allow you to get access to certain parts of the property. And that's, where you know public is kind of comes in handy because right. usually there's you know you don't hunt in the you know in the edges of, of things you got thousands of acres a hundred acres so, all right well, I can go around you know I can make things happen for me yeah and that's why I've really 
I really kind of wrote off hunting this farm in the morning just because I literally have to walk a field to get into it. And, you know, it's going to be an evening or I'm really hoping maybe the rut, when the rut comes around, get in there like nine, 10 o'clock in the morning and sit the rest of the day. Yep. Yeah. And just, and then sit the rest of the day and maybe a doe will bring one by or, Maybe he'll come back to scent check this area, you know, because it, it is thick. I mean, I think in, it's one acre, and it feels like it's five acres when you walk through it because it's so thick, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, who's got a pretty uh, good guy I, I watch a lot of his YouTube videos is Jeff Sturgis. Yep. Like yep. Habitat Solutions. Like, he got a lot of ideas if you got, you know, if you can do some modifications to your farm, how to access different things in there. Like, he's got a well. He's a wealth of knowledge for stuff like that. There's small little parcels and making them work for you. Yeah. I enjoy, I don't hunt those type of areas, but I enjoy watching it. And I think that's why I have some success with others don't because I watch it all. I mean, I hate to say it, you know, I read, read and watch Leela Coffee and Michael Waddell because I might pick up something that they're doing that right. I can go, aha, yes. Yep. Because there's knowledge everywhere. It's how you process it. Yeah. And, I'm not saying, you know, to go, you know, binge watch TV shows, but sometimes you, you, you see something and it's like a light bulb. Ah, yep. Yeah. There you go. For sure. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned you, you keep a data log. I do the same thing. I've, uh, I've kept a log since 2012. Um, every sit that I've ever been on, um, basically I keep everything, what the weather was, what the wind was, what stand I hunted, uh, how many deer I saw, how many year and a half old bucks I saw, how many does I saw. And I started actually doing it just for my own, like just trying to get a little better. But, you know, my job, I film outdoor television for a living. So mm-hmm. I I started doing every sit that I went on, even if I'm filming, what happens then as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just because that's more data that even though I don't have the bow in my hand, you know, I can still be keeping data and, and how to do things. So that's, that's a big thing. And I recommend that for people because I've gotten so much better as a hunter. Like one day, uh, I went back and, and looked at all the bucks, like mature three and a half year old bucks that I figured I killed and just tried to pick out little, you know, nuances of what maybe helped me kill that deer. If it was all on one specific wind or, it was whatever it was. Well, the yeah. only thing I could pick out was I killed more three and a half year old deer on Fridays than any other day of the week. <laughs> I don't know why. I it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm uh speaking of days, you know, like I kill all my deer on Saturday mornings. Really? What I'm a yeah, true weekend warrior. Uh yeah. you know, so it can be done. You know, it's not people like, Oh, you got hunting this week. Hunt when you can hunt, man. Yep, exactly. You know, it, uh, the weather's important, true, yes. But if it's hot out, you know what? I'm still going to be in the woods because you can't kill them sitting on the couch. Exactly. If it's, you know, during a rut, it's 90 degrees, you know what? I'm still in the woods. It yep. sucks. Good. Yeah, whatever, you know, or rain, I'm in the woods. You know, um, you, know you, you can't make excuses or you can't wait for the perfect scenario. Like, if you're going to be waiting for something, you're going to wait for something for a long time. Yep. You know, the deer, especially jobs, life, whatever. You can't wait, sit around and wait for good things to happen because yeah. it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, and we, you and I talked about the nocturnal deer and how we don't feel like they're the deer nocturnal. I feel the same way about the October lull. I don't really think yeah. there's an October lull at all. I, no. I've killed two, what I think is three and a half year old deer, from like the twelfth of October to the eighteenth or yeah eighteenth of October, and I just don't. I mean, it's it's all about you. Just need to, like you said, get in the stand and make the best of it you know it could be 80 90 degrees and you're like well every my buddies say they're not seeing anything well they're not hunting your farm either you know you never know yeah yeah and you know and like i said a lot of guys that you know can wait you know they have vacation days or they're professional hunters or they have time they they, they can wait for you know those cold fronts you know sometimes my job don't allow that right you know or family life don't allow that so if i get it you know a now I got, you know, kids. It's like, I, I got to get in when I can, get in where I fit in. Exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and a lot of things I think what separates, you know, some of the, the better hunters from the average hunters is some people, like the, the, the better hunters, they, they learn from their mistakes and they're not afraid to take chances. Right. They're going to put something. They're not going to tiptoe because you don't need to tiptoe for so long. Walk around eggshells. You're never really going to, you know, you can't get anywhere. And like I said, we, we keep data, like you keep a lot more extensive data law than I do, but there's, you can never have enough data. Data is infinite, you know, so you can, a lot of people get stuck on this data. Well, you know what? You can, there's too much data for every little scenario. Exactly. You can look at it like a pattern. You can kind of see a pattern, but there's still blips in that pattern. There, there's still anomalies, high, low, middle, you know, so you just got to get out there and, and just make a decision right like all right yeah it's i mean the first big deer i killed i went against the everything that you should not do i did because they were cutting the beans down he was cutting this overgrown field to get to the beans well five days before i let him walk because he come right underneath me he's looking behind me and that was a big you know a big heavy 14 at the time so i thought it was big 14 well no it was a six pointer so I let a giant 120th year walk for a six pointer. It's like, why did I just do that? Why did I just do that? <laughs> so the next day they started cutting the beans down. So because they, they browned real fast. So I'm like, man. And, you know, a couple of days went by. I'm, I'm driving home from work and I'm like, I'm going to shoot a deer tonight. So I went and grabbed my stuff and the wind was completely horrible for that spot. I went through the tall grass right to my tree. Everything that you shouldn't do, I did. Because I knew it was like, you know what? He's going to be gone. The beans are gone. You know, they're starting to cut the corn down. You know, and the acorns are starting to drop. It's October 6th. He's going to disappear. So I was like, I'm hail marrying it. And sure enough, I'm sitting in the stand that six corner crosses right where I right where I walked. And I tried, tried to jump over their trail. They stopped for a second, smelled, and he went on his merry way. You know, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, here, I look behind me, and here he comes. And he gets right to where I cross, and he did the old, like, lip up. And by then, I was a full draw, done, dead deer. That's so awesome, man. I, I rolled the dice because of I know what's going to happen. Uh, that first week of October, those bucks were scattered. So it was now or never. And I rolled the dice, and it, it paid off handsomely for me. That's you know, awesome. And, out, and for years past, I would never do that. Now... I, I do it every, you know, once or twice a year now. I'm like, you know what? I'm put it all on the table. I got nothing to lose. 
You know, it's right either right before gun season. I'm gonna go on aggressive. You know, screw it. You know, because gun season starts in two days. You know, or muzzleloader season. So I'm gonna give everything I got on this thing. And you know, maybe I hurt myself, but you, you never really know unless you try. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Hey, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you loose here. We're we're over an hour here, and it's getting kind of late. And I I just want to <laughs> tell you I appreciate you coming on, man. And this won't be the yeah, last man. time. Um, cause I know you're big into archery alone, you know, just setting up your bows and everything. And from yeah. what I've heard and read, you're really good at it. And I'd like to pick your brain about that as well. Sure. So, Absolutely. yeah. So if anybody wants to, you know, find out about you or see what you're doing, um, where would they go to, to see all that stuff? Uh, you know, Instagram, bow hunting team, bow hunting underscore fiend and yep. same with, uh, YouTube. Search bow hunting themed S F I N D, and uh, I got you know some videos on there hunting, uh, some little uh, tuning videos I did on the Matthews, and a couple other scouting stuff. Good stuff. If I had more time, <laughs> I got so much stuff, videos to do that's sitting on my computer doing nothing. Cause I don't have time to do anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I love it when when your uh, Instagram story comes up because I know I'm going to learn something every time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I hopefully uh, you know somebody learns something. Like I said, I, I'm no professional. These are just my thoughts on things. So it's not set in stone. I didn't create this. I just kind of work with what I got. Yeah, my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Well, hey, I appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for coming on, and, and yeah, man. Uh, we'll get you on here again soon. All right, cool, man. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Man, am I glad I got to do that interview because Greg is just, like I told you in the beginning, he's just, he knows what he's doing. He He's confident in what he's doing, and it works for him. And, you know, he's he's just, he gets it done. And that would be my take for anybody out there you know besides the information we talked about Greg was saying be confident in what you're doing don't be afraid to you know put all the chips on the table and go for broke because sometimes that's when it really happens and and how are you going to learn if you don't mess up you know I agree with him when he when he said you know hunters they're afraid to mess up that is true with a lot of hunters you have to mess up sometimes to learn and uh, it, it was just really cool. A lot of, a lot of good words of wisdom there. Um, Greg's a really knowledgeable guy. And like I said earlier, go to his YouTube channel. Check out this guy's footage. I mean, he's killing bucks on public land in New Jersey. And uh, he's doing it on a regular basis. And also go to his Instagram, bowhuntingfiend. It's, uh, he's got a lot of cool stuff up there. This guy is a wizard when it comes to working on bows as well. He just knows his stuff. Um, he's a really cool follow, and uh, yeah, just go there, give him some, give give him some love, and you know, I hope everybody enjoyed this. And uh, I'm gonna keep pounding in your head. Go and uh, leave a five star rating on iTunes, and and leave some feedback. I really appreciate it. Don't forget, next Wednesday we got an all new episode, and uh, you're not gonna want to miss that one as well. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>